service this morning. If you want to read the scriptures that he has laid upon my heart today, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Luke. We're going to begin reading in the seventh chapter of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 7, beginning with the 11th verse. This is the only place in the scripture that this particular story is related to us. Oftentimes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will reiterate or they will tell the same passage of scripture in a different way, but... Luke is the only one that writes to us concerning this particular passage. It's Luke chapter 7, beginning with the 11th verse. The scripture says, And it came to pass the day after, and he's just simply talking about the events that were in the previous part of the 7th chapter, after those events, that he, Jesus, went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him. And then Luke takes the moment to also emphasize not just the disciples, not just the 12 that were with him, but he also says, and much people. And now he came nigh to the gate of the city, and behold, there was a dead man carried out the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion upon her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the coffin, and they that bear him, the pallbearers, they that bear him stood still. And Jesus said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he, Jesus, delivered him that was dead to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen among us. And that God hath visited us, or God has visited his people indeed. I'm going to stop right there this morning. I'll ask if you would just bow your heads, and we are going to pray and ask the Lord for his help, his anointing and delivering the word. Father, we are grateful today. We are grateful for so many, many things. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your mercy. We are thankful for the touch of the presence of the, of the spirit that we sense in this place this morning. Father, we're thankful now for the word of God. We come to the reading of your word, and I pray that you would bless the reading of the word of God. I would ask, Heavenly Father, that you would divinely anoint me of the Holy Spirit, that you would put your thoughts into my mind and your word into my mouth and help me to impart the message that you have laid upon my heart. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we will just get a picture of your greatness and your mercy toward us this morning. I, I would ask that you would divinely inspire what is spoken here. Put your words in my mouth today. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would anoint these lips of clay, for of myself I can do nothing. Make me an able minister of the, of the word of God, of the New Testament. Give me liberty in the house of the Lord. Allow your Holy Spirit to rest upon the hearers that are here and those that will listen by way of the internet. Let your will be done in this service, even as it is in heaven, and we will forever give you the praise. Bless me now to be a blessing. Glorify your name and edify your people. I ask it in Jesus' mighty name, and everyone in agreement with that prayer said amen. amen. So I want to title my message this morning, Control 
Z, the undo buttons. Control Z, the undo buttons. And I may need to explain the title before I get into the message. How many of you know what Control Z on the computer keyboard will do? That's right. If you are a computer savvy soul like Brother Mark is, he's the lead tech guy for the city of Nampa, so he has his hands full, but he knows what he's doing, I'll tell you that. But if you're the lead control tech guy or you know a little bit about computers, you know that control Z will undo what you just did. How many of you have ever deleted something that you wanted back? Maybe you added something to a document and it didn't read right and you wanted to undo it. Control Z will undo it. Isn't that fascinating? I don't know who figured that out, but control V is paste, control C is copy, control Z is undo. 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 Do not you wish that life had a control Z button? I don't know about you, but there are some times in my life that I would to God that I could just control Z and undo it. Control Z and it, it disappears. Control Z and it fixes itself. But life doesn't have a control Z. Ever have a bad event in your life and you just wish that you could undo it? Unfortunately, there is no control Z for life. Amen. My grandmother used to say what's done is done and there's no need in crying over spilt milk. Right? You can't undo it. And I testify to you this morning, there has certainly been some times and some moments in my life and some events that have taken place in my life that I wish I could just simply undo. There have been some things that happened that I had no control over. No matter how much I wish that I could have controlled the events, I wish that I could have had a, a control in the outcome, there are some times that stuff just happened and all I could do was just simply deal with it because there is no control Z for life. There have been some times that, amen, I myself have done some things, said something, and wished to God that I could control Z and bring it back. Hello? Anybody understand what I'm talking about? I read this story the other day and I had been doing some work on the computer and I had used control Z and I began to study and begin to prepare for this sermon and this service and the Lord brought me to this passage of scripture concerning this woman and I thought to myself, there is no doubt in my mind that at this point and at this time in this woman's life, she was wishing she had a control Z and undo what had happened, undo what had taken place. Luke begins to tell us the story of this widow woman. He, he begins to paint a picture of the events that transpired in the city of Nain. And he begins to paint a picture of a personal tragedy of this little widow woman. The mother that we read about, she was a widow. She had at this point already buried her husband. And now her son, her only son, not just one of her sons, but her only son. The only one that she had in her life that was near to her. He dies. 
And now she is on her way to the cemetery, dressed in black. Her son, her only son, her child has died. Her husband is gone. Maybe she had visited that cemetery just months earlier. Maybe it was just a year or two ago. But whatever the, whatever the case, she had buried her husband and now she's on her way to the cemetery to bury her child. I believe in my heart that she wished that she had a control Z to undo what was done. But there is no control Z. She is a broken-hearted mother. She is stuck somewhere between a rock and a hard place. She is a wife without a husband. She is a widow in a world of couples. She is a woman in a male-dominated society. She is a mother without a son. She has no one to care for her. She has no one to provide for her. In essence, she had lost her social security. In essence, she had lost her uh, security blanket. In essence, she was alone and she was by herself, amen, with no one to help and no one to bring comfort, security surrounding her life. We do not know how the son died. We don't even really know how old he was except that he was young. Usually in the scripture, when the scripture states that they were young, that usually indicates somewhere between 12 and 14, 12 and 15 years old. We don't know how old he was. We don't know how he died. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe it was a sudden tragedy. Maybe something happened and it took his life unexpectedly. Maybe it was a long, drawn-out physical illness. Whatever it was, he has died. It was the final event of a perfect storm for her life. Her husband has passed away. Her only child has now died. And I don't know about you, but it comes to my mind that she wished that she could just simply undo what had been done. Have you ever been in a place in your life that you wish that you could undo some of the things that you have done? Have you ever been in a place in your life, amen, that you wish that you could undo some of the events that have transpired in your life? She's coming out. We meet her as she's coming out of the city of Nain, following her son in a coffin. Nain is mentioned only one time in the scripture, and it is found here in our text. Nain was a city that's located about 10 miles southeast of Nazareth, not very far from where Jesus would have grown up. Nain was about a day's journey or a half a day's journey southwest of Capernaum. It was there that Jesus in the earlier verses of this chapter had healed the centurion's soldier's servant. Even archaeologists have still found the cemetery. They found tombs that have been cut out in the rocks and they have found places where they have buried the dead. The very name of the city means beautiful. The very name of the city of Nain means beautiful and charming. How ironic. Because there was nothing beautiful and nothing charming about her situation. There was nothing beautiful. There was nothing charming about her situation. Amen. From her point of view, only heartbreak. From her point of view, amen, all you could see was sorrow. From her point of view, all you could see when sense is the grief that had transpired in her life. And I want you to get a picture of it in your mind this morning. The Bible says that there are two crowds of people that are about to meet. They are about to come together. Picture in your mind this morning 
the two crowds that are converging together about to meet. And these two crowds could not have been more polar opposite. They couldn't have been more different. One crowd is following Jesus and the other crowd is following a casket. One crowd is following the, the giver of life and the other crowd is following a body that had prematurely passed away. Jesus is walking into the city and a large crowd is close behind him and at the same time there is a large funeral procession coming out of the city, amen, headed for the cemetery and so these two very distinctive crowds uh, and these two very distinctive groups of people are about to come head to head. Look at verse number 11. It says, and it came to pass that the day after that he, Jesus, went to the city called Nain. And many of his disciples were with him. And again, I point out the fact that Luke took the time to elaborate and tell us that there was much people with him. There was a multitude following him. Amen. Stop and think about what this multitude must have been like. They had just witnessed Jesus healing the centurion soldier's servant. This crowd was filled with joy. They were filled with anticipation. They were filled with excitement. They are following Jesus, the man that just raised up and healed a desperate case, a desperate cause. They are following the Lord. I bet some of them were singing. I bet some of them had a song in their heart and a praise on their lips. I bet they were excited about what he was going to do next. And they are following the master and there is an air of enthusiasm. There is an air of delight as they are following him. But the other crowd, the other crowd is on its way out of the city. Jesus is on his way in and the other crowd is on their way out. And this crowd is anything but joyful. There is no festive atmosphere. Quite the contrary. Amen. This, this crowd is filled with sorrow and filled with grief and there is an atmosphere that surrounds the crowd of weeping and sadness. There is sorrow that surrounds them. Amen. And just stop and think about it for a moment. Yes, there is sorrow and there is grief over any loved one that had died. But this particular case was extremely sorrowful because this woman had no one left. She was all alone. She was all alone. No one to care for her. No one to provide for her and no one to look after her. And this multitude of mourners is following her in the funeral procession. And there are the sights and the sounds of grieving. There are people wiping tears and there are people that can be heard sobbing and there are people that have grief and sorrow and they are following her to lay this young man in the ground. Amen. In a permanent resting place. He's dressed in a prayer shawl. There is a suffocating cloud of heartbreak that surrounds this entire group. And they are making their way to bury him. And so we have the two this morning, the two very different kinds of crowds, the two very different types of individuals. And they are coming together. They are converging together. And they are about to run headlong into each other. One has no idea that the other is coming. I believe Jesus knew exactly where he was going. I said one had no idea they were coming together, but I believed that Jesus knew exactly where he was going. My wife and I one day, we were up riding our ATV, and we were up the other side of Willow Creek. And we were taking a little trail, and the trail climbed up and around and had a little switch back. And we started up, and I spotted down below us on another little trail a fox headed this way. And he was watching us while we were watching him. 
And he didn't realize there was another fox, a second fox, that was coming around the trail on this side. And they were both looking up at us while we had stopped and were looking down at them. And when they ran into each other, they were both so surprised that they literally leaped backwards about 10 feet each. These crowds had no idea. They were about to come face to face and something shocking and miraculous was about to happen. Amen. In her life, there was no control Z. There was no undo button. What was done was done. Amen. She knew she had lost her husband. She knew her son, her only son was gone and gone forever. But brother, Jesus was about to do something that would blow their mind. Mm. One group symbolizes life and the other group symbolizes death. One group speaks of joy and the other group speaks of sorrow. One group speaks of jubilant victory and the other group, uh, amen, speaks of defeat. One group speaks of hope uh, and the other group speaks uh, of heart-wrenching disappointment. And the two groups are about to come together headlong right into one another, amen. And one group has no idea they're about to come together. So what happened? The Bible tells us that Jesus coming into the city greeted them and meet them, met them as they were on their way out. Now let me just stop for a moment this morning to explain to you that in our culture, whenever we meet a funeral procession, it is respect and courtesy to pull off to the side of the road and allow the funeral procession to go completely by. How many of you have done that? See, I've been in some cities where they, do, they don't do that. I'm glad that in Emmett we still do that. I hope we never get so big or never get so busy that we can't have time or take the time to respect those that have gone on and those that are left behind. So in our culture... In our culture, it is customary to pull off to the side of the road. And if I'm wearing a hat, I take my hat off, but it's customary to pull off to the side of the road and wait for the funeral procession to go by before we go on about our daily lives. In Jewish tradition, if they met a funeral procession, they were strongly encouraged not to just stop on the side of the road and allow it to go by, but they were strongly encouraged to join the procession and go with them. They weren't just going to pull over and hold up and let everybody go by. No, in their custom, it was customary that they turn and leave what they were doing and literally follow the funeral procession and pay their respects to the dead and those that were there to see if they could, amen, help in some manner. It was, amen, it was customary. They were strongly encouraged and obligated to go with them. So stop and think about it for a minute. Jesus is coming in. They are going out. What will he do? Will he join the procession? Will he join those that are on their way to bury the dead? The question in my mind as I read the text was which group is going to follow which group? <laughs> Who's going to follow who? Amen. The question is, will Jesus turn and follow the mourners? What happens? Amen. What could he do, if anything? It's already been done. There is no control Z in life. What can he do? How could he change? How could he help? Amen. How could he, it, it, according to their Jewish tradition, Jesus was supposed to turn and follow them and go help bury the boy. But that couldn't be further from what happened. This morning, I want to share with you four things, four things that I want to look at that Jesus did in this text. 
Number one, I want you to look at his compassion. The first thing that I want us to take notice of is the fact that Jesus responded in compassion. The Bible said that he saw the sorrow. He saw the woman and her grief. He saw her tears. And the Bible said that he had compassion upon her. Read that 13th verse. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion. When he saw her, the first thing that transpired was a spirit of compassion. The Greek word that is translated compassion in our text, I don't speak a whole lot of Greek, but I'm going to endeavor to pronounce it. The Greek word that is translated compassion in our text is the word splag. Oh, help me, Jesus. Splagnesiod. Splagnesiod. S-P-L-I-N-I-Z-O-D. Splagnesiod. Splagnesiod. I get, I get, but I get an A for trying, okay? So, so here, what in the world does that word mean? How many of you know that the Greek language is so much more descriptive than English? English translation is compassion. In our world, that can mean, well, he felt sorry for him. Ah. He was, he was touched. Ah, where the red fern grows. Sorry. I'm moving on. But the Greek is so much more descriptive. It literally means, in the Greek, it literally means that his insides were churning. He was so moved that literally down on the inside, his insides turned over for her. He was so moved by what he saw and knowing her situation and knowing the, the, the situation that she was in, that his insides literally churned. How many of you have ever been so moved with compassion and so moved with sorrow for someone that you literally grieve down on the inside and you could feel the inside of your spirit literally turning over? He was moved with compassion. This word splagnesiad is only used two other times in the gospel of Mark. And maybe if I just share with you the instances that they were used, it'll help us to have an understanding of the definition of the word. The first place that it is used is the man that fell among thieves on the Jericho road. You remember the story the Bible said that a man went down from Jericho unto Jerusalem and he fell among thieves and the thieves beat him until he was senseless. And they left him, they robbed him, they left him bleeding and literally dying on the side of the road. And the Bible said that a priest came down that way and saw him and didn't want to get involved and so he passed by on the other side of the road. A Levite. Now, I mean, you know, the Levites were the one in charge of the temple. This was a religious individual, but he didn't want to be involved either. And he passed by on the other side of the road. And they just left him there bleeding and dying with no compassion whatsoever. But the Bible said that a Samaritan man came by and he saw him in his situation. And he was so moved with compassion that he went over and he opened a bottle of wine and oil and he poured in the oil and the wine and he bound up his wounds and he put that man upon his own mount and he carried him into the city to a hotel and said, here, you keep this man and take care of everything that he needs and here's the money for it. And when I return, if it costs you anything else, I'll pay the bill. In other words, he was so moved with compassion for the hurting man that he was willing to do something about about it. The second place that it is used in scripture is the parable of the prodigal son. 
You remember the story of the prodigal son. The Bible said that the younger son comes to his father and says, give me the inheritance that falls to me. And the father gives him his inheritance and he goes out and he wastes the inheritance on riotous living, upon ungodly living. And he comes to the place where he has lost everything and he's sitting in a pig pen and he finally comes to himself and says, what am I doing here? I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and tell my father, I'm not worthy to be your son. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against heaven. And I'm no worthy to be your son. Just make me a servant. But the Bible said the father saw him a long way off. The father saw him afar off and had compassion upon him. Compassion upon him. And he runs out to meet him and runs out to meet his son who was returning. And the Bible said that he fell upon his neck and he kissed him over and over and over and over again and said, my son who was dead, amen, has, has come back. My son who was dead is alive again, amen. And those two instances are the places where this word is used and it's translated compassion and it literally means an extreme tender feeling for someone that has been hurt. It's an, a, a tender extreme tender feeling for someone that's hit rock bottom and they're trying to make a comeback. Amen. Let me just tell you something this morning. The first thing that Jesus saw when he saw this woman was he had a compassionate spirit for her. Not just a compassionate spirit that felt sorry for her but a compassion that said I'm willing to get involved and I'm willing to change what's happened. Mm. Let me just tell you this morning, maybe you have hit rock bottom. Maybe you are hurting and I'm here to tell you Jesus cares. Maybe you're here this morning and you've had some events transpire in your life and you wish you had an undo button. You wish you could control Z and make it all go away. Hey, I'm here to tell you that the Lord knows where you are, knows what you've been through. And God says, I've got, amen, not just compassion, but I'm willing to change your situation. He had compassion upon her. The second thing that I want to look at is look at the contact. The first portion of contact is the spoken word. The spoken word. Look in verse number 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion upon her. And he said, he said unto her, weep not, weep not. What he said was, honey, don't cry. Honey, don't cry. It's going to be all right. I got you. Amen. I remember when my children and now my grandchildren, when they injured themselves here not long ago, my little granddaughter fell. She got up crying and grandpa went running to her, picked her up and said, I got you, baby. Don't cry. Wiped away her tears. I was moved with compassion. Wanted to do something about it. And the only thing that I could say was, honey, don't cry. It's going to be all right. I got you. I got you. That's what Jesus did to this little woman. He said, honey, don't cry. I know where you are. I see your situation. I got you. I'm going to make it all better. I'm going to make it all all right. Don't be afraid. Don't be filled with sorrow. Amen. Don't be afraid. Don't be filled with grief. I got you. Amen. I'm going to tell you something this morning, beloved. I believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart as I begin to put this message together. And God told me to tell some of you, I got you. I know where you are. I know where you're hurting. I know what you've been through. And I got you. It's going to be all right. Mm. The second point of contact is he touches the casket. Verse 14, and he came and he touched the coffin. 
He came and he touched the coffin. Now get a picture of this in your mind. Here come the mourners and here comes the jubilant Jesus crowd. And they come headlong together. And there's nothing she can do about it. She's lost her husband, lost her only son. And Jesus steps up and says, don't weep. And then he touched the coffin. And in my mind, I begin to ask, I wonder how it was that he touched the coffin. I wonder if he walked up and just went, hang on a minute, fellas. Have you ever had someone start to go by you and you wanted to stop them and you put your arm out and went, hey, hang on a minute. Hold up. Well, I started digging into it and the word that's translated touched here in the Greek, the word that's translated touched means that he strongly, forcefully laid hold of the casket. It wasn't a gentle, hang on a minute, fellas. It was a, mm, you ain't going any farther than that right there. It was a forceful, purposeful stop. It was so forceful, in fact, that the Bible goes on to say, and they that bear him stood still. They were stopped in their tracks. And then he said to the young man, arise. So forceful was the touch that the bearers of the coffin had to stand still. And, and I got to thinking in the Jewish law, if an individual touched a coffin, they would be considered unclean because of death and because of the death that was there. But death didn't make Jesus unclean. Jesus, <laughs> he conquered death on the spot. Amen. He, he conquered death on the spot. He hits the control Z button and reverses the curse and brings the boy back to life. The third thing I want to look at is his command. We see his compassion, his contact, and now his command. He came and touched the coffin, and they that bear him stood still. And he said to the young man, I say unto thee, arise. And then they stood still, and he says to the young man, arise. And then again, in my mind, I begin to inquire. I wonder how it was that he said, arise. I wonder if it was a loud command. Young man, arise. Or maybe he just leaned over in the coffin and said, young man, get up. When our boys were small, my wife would go wake them up, get ready for school. Time to get up. Come on now, get up. Can I have five minutes? Okay. Okay, five minutes is up. Can I have five more? Come on, no, you need to get up. Daddy didn't wake them up like that. Hey, get up. Yes, sir, feet on the floor. <laughs> I wonder if Jesus just leaned over and said, hey, get up. However he said it, and the Bible doesn't tell us how he said it, doesn't say whether it was a, a, a loud command or if he just leaned over and whispered. How many of you know sometimes all, the, all it takes is just a whisper from Jesus to change our circumstances? Just a whisper from the Lord. Man, I've had God whisper some stuff in my ear and in my heart that just literally changed my life. Amen. Just a soft whisper. However it was, young man, I say unto thee, arise. It was a command from the giver of life. And the Bible said that immediately the young man sat up and began to talk. I wish that I knew what he said. <laughs> you guys ain't going to believe what I just saw. 
I wonder what he said. The scripture doesn't tell us what he said, but the Bible says that he sat up and he began to talk. And he began to speak. And he began to... Uh, he began to con converse with those that were there. And Jesus takes him and gives him to his mother. Amen. Presents him to his mother whole and alive. Because Jesus Christ has the power to hit control Z when we can't do anything about it. Jesus Christ has the ability and has the power to undo some of the things that have happened in our life. Amen. Maybe you are here this morning. Maybe you are here and you need God to do something in your life that you cannot change and you have no way of changing the circumstances or changing the situation. Hey, I've got good news. Jesus Christ has the power to hit control Z and undo some stuff that you've messed up and untangle some stuff that you have found tangled up in your life. He has the power to set it free. A look at his compassion, a look at his contact, a look at his command, and finally, a look at the consequences. Two things happened when he said, young man, arise. Even death had to obey his voice. Even death had to pay attention. The second thing that happened when he spoke, the consequences, the second thing, a great reverence fell upon everyone that was there. The Bible says a great fear came upon them. And that word fear literally means a great reverence, a sense of awe, a sense of who in the world is this, that even the dead obey his command, that even the dead have to arise. So what can we learn from the text this morning? Number one, we can learn that Jesus cares for our need. The Bible says that we have not, we do not have a high priest. Jesus, the Bible says, is our high priest. The scripture said that we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, that Jesus knows how you feel. He knows when you are discouraged. He knows when you are feeling empty. He knows when you are feeling spiritually dead. He knows when you are hurting. He knows when you are grieving. He knows when you are in sorrow. He knows when you are troubled. He knows everything about you. So much so that the Bible said that he knows the very number of the hairs on the top of your head. I have always said he knows which ones are turning gray and which ones are turning loose. <laughs> and I got both. Hello? What can we learn? Let me tell you what we can learn. Number one, Jesus knew everything there was to know about this woman. And he was not just concerned to the point of stopping along the road and just letting her go on by to bury her child. But no, he was so filled with compassion that he had a desire to do something about it. Number two, we can learn that with God, all things are possible. Amen. Number two, we can learn that with God, all things are possible. Are you facing a Red Sea? Are you facing the walls of Jericho? Are you facing a giant that seems like uh, he will not follow? Here, I'm here to tell you this morning that with God, all things are possible. You may not be able to undo it, uh, but brother God, know where the control Z is, uh, and God can undo what's been done. God can undo, uh, amen, the mess that you're in, and God can fix uh, whatever situation that you are faced with here today. Mm. Number three, we can learn that when Jesus speaks, even death has to listen. I'm here to tell you this morning as I close that Jesus has the power to undo the effects of sin. Sin will leave you guilty and shameful and condemned. Jesus has the power to undo the effects of sin. Jesus has the power, 
amen, to undo the failure of the past. He has the power to untangle the mess that we have made of our lives. He has the power to speak life and life more abundantly into our heart. Life where there is spiritual death. Life where there is no sign of life. God has the ability to bring, amen, dead bones back to life. You remember reading the story in the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. Amen. God sets Ezekiel down in the midst of a valley full of dry, dead, parched bones. And he says, prophesy the word to these bones. And as the message of the Lord begins to go out, amen, Ezekiel said, behold, there was a shaking and a noise and bones started coming together, bone to his bone. And God began to raise up those dead, dry, parched bones and make them a great army. God has the ability this morning to undo what the enemy has done in your life. He has the ability to resurrect some dreams that you've given up on. He has the ability to resurrect that marriage, amen, that you've given up on. He has the ability this morning to resurrect your life, resurrect your spirit, resurrect your heart, amen, just simply through his word. God has an undo button for our life. This morning I feel in my spirit that there's some folks here in this congregation that have some things that you need God to undo. Maybe it's some stuff that you created on your own doing. But you have God's, you have God's uh, uh, approval this morning to undo what's been done. God wants to bring you into a place of life. God wants to bring you into a place of resurrection. He wants to bring you into a place where your spirit man lives and thrives again. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. This woman received her son again from the hand of Jesus because he has the power to undo. Control Z, he has the power to undo. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Jesus, I am grateful this morning for the opportunity that you've given to me to share the word. I'm grateful this morning, Lord, that you have the power to intervene. Maybe we are marching in our parade this morning, Lord, filled with sorrow and heartache and grief. Lord, march this way. Hit the undo button in some lives here in this place this morning. Hit control Z for some of your children here in this house this morning. Undo what the enemy meant for evil and God turn it into something good on their behalf. I ask all of these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you here in this place would be willing to slip up your hand and say, Pastor Gary, I have some things in my own life that I need the Lord to help me undo. Yes, 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 yes. I have some things in my life that if I had a control Z, I'd be hitting it right now. Anybody else? Yes, God sees your hand. Hands lifted all over this building this morning. If you lifted your hand, would you please stand? Come and stand right here in front of the altar this morning. If you have something in your life that need, that you need God to undo. If you're walking in condemnation, if you are walking in sin, if you are walking in hurt, you're walking in sorrow. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, sweet, sweet Jesus. 
slip up your hands right here in the front that have come for prayer. My Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, you said in your word that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. What you have done, you are capable of doing right now. I don't know what the situations may be, and I don't know what the circumstances are for these that have come. What I do know is that, God, you have the ability to hit control Z. You have the ability this morning, Lord, to undo what the enemy meant for evil. I'm praying right now in the name of Jesus that the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you will wash away every sin and every stain. Lord, that you will remove through the comfort of the Holy Spirit every hurt and every sorrow and every grief. Every weakness, let the weak say, I am strong. Let those who are bound be delivered here this morning. Let the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Lord, break every chain and break every bondage. I pray right now in Jesus' name, Lord, that you will undo what the enemy has meant for bad in their life. Heal those that are sick and those that are afflicted. Heal those by the stripes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heal those that are sick. Let them be made free. Let them be made whole. Those who are discouraged, I pray right now, Lord, you will place the joy of the Lord in their heart. And Lord, you'll let the joy of the Lord be a brand new strength in their life. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Lord, in Jesus' name, resurrect some dreams that folks have given up on. Resurrect some dreams in their heart this morning. Lord, they've given up on some things and Lord, they've buried it. But I pray right now in the name of Jesus, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that you will resurrect. Speak the word, Lord, and be be real in their life this morning. I ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.